We're reading Psalm 16, which in the small Bible is page 449 and happens to be the same in the large Bible, page 549. Psalm 16, a midcam of David. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I serve the holy people who are in the land. They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see you see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Hello. It's good to laugh. It's good to laugh. It's lovely to be here. As Matt said at the beginning, we have been on holiday and then we were on a youth camp in what I would love to describe as sunny Suffolk, but it really did rain all week. Um, we were in a caravan, which was wonderful. The young people all got very wet in tents, which wasn't quite so wonderful. But yeah, it is lovely to be with you tonight. It's, there's nothing quite like being back with church family. We're going to be looking at Psalm 16 tonight. Um, God will bring you through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure if he is your safest refuge and your sovereign Lord. They're not my words. I wish they were. Um, They are the words of John Piper, an American pastor. And they're pretty much what I am basing my talk around tonight. And they are written about Psalm 16. So I'm just going to read it one more time so you can kind of get your head around that statement. God will bring you through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure if he is your safest refuge and your sovereign Lord. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father God, I thank you that there is life in your name. Lord, take my preparation take away any tiredness and confusion. And I pray that your word will fall on open hearts and open minds tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So as Sue read at the very beginning of this psalm, it is titled, A Mictam of David. Now, I wouldn't normally pick up on things like this, but in a little bit of research, um, basically discovered no one really knows what that means. And that's the sort of thing I'm always really interested in because it seems a bit random. Some scholars think it might be a musical term. Some think it might be a literary term. But a couple of commentators translate it as the golden psalm of David. The golden psalm of David. Now, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but it is pretty apt for what I'm going to be talking about tonight, which is why I'm mentioning it. You see, this psalm doesn't tell us a lot about David. It doesn't tell us a lot about David's life. It doesn't tell us loads about any context of where David was. But it does point to Jesus. It does point to the resurrection. It does point to eternal life. So as we go through this psalm tonight, really, there's very little of David and a whole lot of what is to come, a whole lot of the resurrection. So I actually think the golden psalm of David is quite accurate there. And as I've already said, we're going to be breaking down a couple of things tonight, and we're going to be looking at what it means for God to be our safest refuge, number one, what it means for God to be our sovereign Lord, number two. And then we're going to be looking at what is said about the full and the lasting pleasure that awaits. So we're going to start by looking at what it means for God to be our safest refuge. And for this, we're going to look at verse one. So if your Bibles are open, that would be really helpful. Verse one says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Now, as I've said, we don't have a lot of context about this psalm. Often, David writes from a place of trial and a place of trouble. We don't know if that is the case. But actually, what I'm interested in here is the second half of the verse. For in you, I take refuge. And we're just going to hang out here for a minute because I think this actually can say a lot. And I found this few words to be a bit of a challenge in the last couple of the weeks. For in you, I take refuge. David isn't saying... I am in loads of trouble now, right now, as he sometimes does in the Psalms. God, help me. I'm struggling. I need your help right now. I'm coming back to you. He isn't saying, God, I'm in a place of disaster. Woe is me. The world is going to end. I'm coming back to you. He's also not, as he sometimes does, saying, praise be to you, O Lord. Incredible things have happened. I'm coming back to you. God, everything is going fantastic in my life. Now I want to come back to you. Thank you for all you do for me. He has said both of those things, not quite translated like that, at different points in the Psalms. But right now he's not saying that. He's very simply saying, God, I am in you, therefore I take refuge in you. For in you, I take refuge always. You see, as Christians... Sometimes it can be really easy when everything is going really rubbish to turn back to God. Maybe there are money issues. Maybe there's problems at work. Maybe you've had a fallout in your family. Maybe your car's broken down. There can be loads of opportunities where really rubbish stuff happens and that can really strengthen our relationship with God because we turn back to him, because we know we need his help. Because actually, he's the only place we can see that we can turn to. And on the other end of the spectrum, there can be times where everything is going amazingly. You've come back from a youth camp, you're a bit shattered, but actually you're full of joy of what God has been doing. Or 
you're standing at the top of a mountaintop and you look around at creation, you go, God, you're incredible. Both of those times we can feel really close to God. We can quite honestly say, for in you, God, I can see you right now, I take refuge. But what about those times in the middle? What about those mundane times in our lives where we are just plodding along, getting on with life? For in you I take refuge, always. I took up running about five years ago now. I'm from a family of runners, so that in itself wasn't particularly surprising. And in 2016, I trained for a marathon. And I completed the marathon, thank you very much. 2016, I trained for my first marathon. And it so happened that when I applied for this marathon, it was going to be my first marathon and my my mum's 10th marathon. And so we started training together for this marathon. And we did lots of short runs, we did lots of long runs. And it turned out it wasn't that great for my relationship with my mum. In fact, Jonathan, who's here tonight, knows what I'm like at the end of a long run. Um, And I I become a very horrible person. Kind of mile 15 to mile 18 of a long run. I don't want anyone near me. I don't want anyone to talk to me. You so much as offer me water, and, and you're gone. And we didn't finish any long runs together. It would get to kind of mile 15 and be like, Mum, you need to leave me alone. I can't, I can't even talk to you right now. I'm really sorry, but we'll, we'll deal with this at the end. Um, and we didn't finish any long runs together. And about a week before the marathon, I had this moment of, I don't think I can do this on my own. I don't think when I hit that brick wall on the marathon day, which everyone tells you is going to happen, I'm going to be able to do this on my own. And I said to my mum, will you run the marathon with me? Will you run it with me? And she, in her very straight-talking, matter-of-fact way, went, Hannah, I will run that whole marathon with you if you don't tell me to go away. If you tell me at any point to go away, I'm off. I'm faster than you, true. I will leave you. But if you do not tell me to go away, I will run that whole marathon with you. So we agreed to this. And it got to the day, and everything was going on, and we started this run. And I decided the best way to ensure that I didn't get to a point of wanting to tell my mum to go away was that we would just check in every mile and I would just thank her for running with me. I would just thank her for running at the same speed as me, for sticking with me, for doing all those wonderful things for me. So mile one, we're running along. Still got 25 miles to go at this point. I'm going, mum, this is great. We're in the new forest. Look at the horses. Isn't this wonderful? She's going, yeah, Hannah, we've got a long way to go. Just take it easy, chill out, it's all good, save your energy, stop talking. Mile three, mum, thank you, like we've done a park run, this is great, this is great, it's all right, Hannah, have a jelly baby, okay. Mile six, okay, mum, we've done six miles, we're feeling all right, yeah, Hannah, keep going, keep going, mile seven, mile eight, mile nine. Mile 12, mum, we've done 12 miles and we've still got 14 miles to go, I don't know, I don't know how I'm feeling, you're all right, Hannah, stick with me, we've got this, we'll pace it, we're fine. Mile 16, standing at the wheelie bins in the new forest. Mum, I don't think I can do this. I don't want you to leave me. Please don't leave me by these wheelie bins in the middle of the forest. But I don't think I can do this. Hannah, you can do this. You've got this. You've trained for this. You've got this. We've absolutely got this together. Mile 18. Okay, Mum, I'm feeling a bit better. We've got eight miles to go. We can do this. Mile 21. We're getting there. Let's pick up the pace. We've got five miles. I can almost see the finish. Let's keep going. Mile 26. We cross that finish line together. My relationship with my mum, 
only stayed strong in that marathon because we checked in with each other consistently. In the really great miles, in the miles where we were sharing jelly babies, in those really rubbish miles by the wheelie bins, she was there. She didn't leave me because I didn't tell her to go away. But actually, the times where that relationship stayed the strongest was in all of those mundane miles throughout the middle where we just checked in with each other. But actually, Mum, I feel all right. I could probably do this on my own, but I'd rather you were at my side. Mum, actually, this is great right now. This is all right. Nothing's really happening, but I'm really glad you're here. And you see, my mum's not good. But actually, there's a lot of similarities there with our relationship with God. We can check in with God in those really great times in our lives. And we can check in with God in those really rough miles by the wheelie bins. But actually, we should be checking in with God when all those mundane miles in the middle, because that's how our relationship with God is going to strengthen. That's how we begin to appreciate all the things and all the blessings he's giving us, even when we're not at the edge of a mountaintop looking around at how beautiful it is. God will bring you through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure if he is your safest refuge. Verse 2 says, you are my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. God ultimately is our only true good thing that's not going to let us down. He's the only thing that is never going to leave us. He's the only thing that's never going to not live up to expectations. And that's in the good, that's in the bad, and that's in all those mundane times in the middle. God will bring you through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure if he is your safest refuge. That's my first point. My second point is, if he is your sovereign Lord. Let's look at verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. I actually had to look up what lot means. Confession. God holds our lot, which means God holds our life. God makes our life secure. Just as a side note, just take a moment to think about your life. Are there any parts of your life that you feel uncomfortable knowing that God holds? A relationship? Addiction? Money? Anything? I'm asking myself as well as you. Because I found that a real challenge. God holds our lot. He holds our life. That means he holds every single area of our life. And if there is an area that you feel uncomfortable knowing that God holds, then maybe it's time to reevaluate that. But I think this is a bit deeper than that. God has to be our sovereign Lord. If you look at verse 4, it says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. We're just going to look at this a little bit. You see, as Christians and as a church, and church in general, we spend an awful lot of time, rightly, thinking about our relationship with God. That's important. Obviously, our relationship with God, with God is important. But it's more than that. We also have a responsibility for those people that we know that don't have that relationship with God. Because he is not their sovereign Lord. And verse 4 is really, really clear. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Your neighbour that you've been meaning to invite to a church event, but it just hasn't quite been the right time. They're suffering, and they're going to continue to suffer. That family member 
who actually you know having a conversation about Christianity is just going to make it a bit awkward for a bit. They're suffering. And they're going to continue to suffer. And I'm not saying this as a scaremongering thing, because ultimately God is greater than what we do. But actually we do have a responsibility. And I think this psalm is really, really clear. If God is our sovereign Lord, then he deserves our submission which means he deserves for us to put ourselves in situations that might actually make some relationships a bit uncomfortable because we want to share that he is our sovereign Lord with others. Because if he is our number one, then he should naturally be coming into our conversations. When I find a restaurant, in fact, let's be more realistic, when Matt finds a restaurant that he really likes, not only does he want to tell me about his favorite thing on the menu, but he wants us to go back there time and time again. When Charlton have won a football match, you want to talk about it. I don't, but some of you do. You want to talk about it. You want to share the highlights. You want to share what's going on. God is greater than Charlton. Sorry. He's also greater than our favorite restaurants. Why does he not come into our conversations in the same way? We've just been at this youth camp, and in a Christian youth camp, it feels so natural to be talking about God the whole time. And I always forget how it then feels when you come home. And suddenly, when you're doing 400 million loads of washing, it doesn't feel quite as natural to be talking about God the whole time. But he should be in our conversations if he is your sovereign Lord. We had a couple stay with us recently who were going to the Hillsong Conference at the O2. And there was one evening that they finished a bit early and they just rang and said, can we come for dinner? We finished a bit early. And I was like, yeah, that's absolutely fine. And I had a colleague coming around for dinner who isn't a Christian. And I just texted them and said, just to let you know, um, there's a colleague coming around. She's not a Christian. Now, what I was saying subconsciously in that was, you guys are really great at talking about God. Maybe tone it down a little bit. Because actually, she might feel a bit awkward. Because we'd had some fantastic conversations with them earlier in the week. But I wasn't quite sure that my colleague would feel the same. So that was kind of what I was subconsciously saying. And they were like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Anyway, so we're having dinner, and we're sitting there eating, and my friend, my colleague, just goes, so what have you guys been doing at the O2? And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. And they launch in to this spiel, which was amazing, about the sun worship and how great it had been and how they'd really connected with God and how they'd had a talk from Louis Giglio about all about not having the devil at your table and not giving him a seat and how in the prayer ministry time they just really felt God directing their lives. And if I'm honest, I sat there thinking, okay, okay, this is a bit intense. Like, this is a bit intense for a Thursday evening. But let them carry on. And we carried on eating, and my friend just went, so what does it mean to not give the devil a seat at your table? And they just went, you know what? It just means putting God in the driving seat of your life, trusting God with decisions, because we love God, and we want God to guide our lives. And she went, okay, okay. And then that night, me and her went to the live lounge that Legacy were putting on, and she heard Isaac McGenny give his testimony. And at the end of the night, we were walking back to the bus stop, and I was thinking, flippin' egg, she must be seriously Christianed out right now. Like, this was not quite the evening I had in mind. And she just went, nothing groundbreaking happened. But she just went, thank you, Hannah, for showing me what your life looks like. Thank you for letting me in. I, like, I love your friends. 
I love Matt. I loved Legacy. They were great. Like, thank you. And do you know what? That's not how I expected that evening to go. And that's not how I would have planned that evening to go. Because actually, my way of dealing that, with that was to text my friends saying, guys, just, just hold rain in a little bit. But they saw that text as just to let you know there's a non-Christian there as fantastic. God is our sovereign Lord. We want to put him first in our lives. We're just going to talk about him really naturally and see what happens. And I don't think they did that consciously, but that's because God is so poignant in their lives. He is so at their center, at their number one, that he just flows off their conversation. He just flows out of their mouths as if they were talking about the football scores. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It is not all on us, but we do have a responsibility. These are our friends, these are our neighbours, these are our colleagues. Let's just make God look to an outsider like he is our sovereign Lord. Let's put him as number one. Because he deserves to be. And when he is our number one, that conversation is just going to flow. Because that's what happens when you love something or love someone. You want to talk about them. If God is your sovereign Lord, he deserves that submission. He deserves that submission in in a slightly awkward conversation with a family member. He deserves that submission if it means you're not quite as popular at work. He deserves that submission if it means actually you have to think a little bit harder about how you direct your conversations. Because he should be our number one. And others should be able to see that so that he can become their number one. God will bring you through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure if he is your sovereign Lord. And that brings us to this idea of full and everlasting pleasure. Let's read from verse 9. It says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In God... There is freedom. And we're going to go a little bit Pentecostal, and I'm going to say that again, and you're going to say hallelujah. Okay? You've been warned. In God, there is freedom. Hallelujah. It was almost like being an Abbey Wood. Almost. In God, there is freedom. Hallelujah. Better, better. I was referring to my school in Abbey Wood, not just Abbey Wood in general. Um, they love a hallelujah. In God, there is freedom, church. But we have to know God to access and have that freedom. In God, there is freedom. That doesn't mean we're offered a pain-free life. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean we don't go through hard times. But it does mean because of Jesus, we are promised a world without pain, a world without sickness, a world without anxiety. And I'm actually going to read it directly from Revelation because it says it better than anything I could say. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
Then he said, write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And as I've already said, and I'm going to say it again, that doesn't mean it's going to be always easy. It doesn't mean we don't have those times where we are crying out, looking for God, asking God to be close to us. But it does mean he's there. And because of Jesus... Because Jesus died and rose again for me and you, we are offered that freedom. As I close, I want to share with you about a friend of mine, a friend of ours, actually. He was called Josh. Um, Matt did his gap year with Josh. And Josh, at the age of 16, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and he was given six months to live. Josh died at the age of 26. And in those nine and a half years when he realized in his words that he'd kind of beaten the system, he made it his effort to tell every single person that he came into encounter with about Jesus. And as a result, so many young people, including myself at the time, learned about Jesus. Josh was an incredible man. And we went to his funeral in 2013. And we walked in, and the coffin was at the back of the church, which um, is quite unusual. Often at a funeral, you all sit down and then the coffin is kind of walked in. And the coffin was at the back of the church. And we were given the order of service. I've got it here. Can you hold that? We were given the order of service. And on the front page of the order of service, it said, it was Joshua's specific wish that his coffin be placed at the back of the church since he wanted our focus to be on Jesus, his saviour. And you see, Josh knew that he was dying. Josh knew that he was in pain. He knew that he hurt. He hurt every day for about nine and a half years. But yet he knew there was something promised to him that was so much greater than that. And he wanted every single family and friend to know that. And that meant that funeral, yeah, it was sad, we'd lost a friend. But actually, it was the most incredible, wasn't it? The most incredible worship service I've ever been to. We worshipped together, and we were worshipping the fact that Josh was no longer in pain. That he was with his saviour, who had died for him and for us. And yeah, we cried, but then we laughed, because we thought Josh would be laughing, at the fact we were crying, because he wasn't in pain anymore. So why were we crying? We are promised this eternal and lasting pleasure and freedom beyond anything we can comprehend when we trust in God. When we trust in God in those good times, in those bad times, in all those mundane times in the middle. And when he is our number one. When our relationship with Jesus is so great that it spills out into every area of our lives. In God there is freedom. God will bring you through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure if he is your safest refuge and your sovereign Lord. So my question tonight is, who is your God? Is he your safest refuge? Is he where you turn in all those times? Is he your first port of call? Is he your sovereign Lord? Is he who you put first? Is he who you want others to know? Who is your God? Because God and God alone 
is the only one that brings life. Amen.